When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Russell. And Brad. From Brooklyn, New York. And you're listening to... The Tennis Podcast. Well, that was lovely Russell and lovely Brad, two of our very favourite friends of the show. Not that we have favourites, but of course we do. And uh, Russell and Brad are two of them. Uh, They backed us in last year's Kickstarter. Uh, Their lovely dog, Butler, that's sadly no longer with us. He is and was our mascot for the year 2020. Um, And a very fine dog he was too. He's been immortalised... by uh, my mum with a portrait and Russell and Bad Brad requested that butler's background uh, for that portrait be the same as uh, Barack Obama's official portrait which is just the coolest thing so well done Russell Brad and Butler for being cool yeah and can I also as well just say I think Butler probably provided my favorite content moment of 2020 by I wearing... know exactly what you're going to say yeah it was it was Australian open time when things were so much so much nicer <laughs> and um, Butler helped by Russell and Brad donned the Grigor Dimitrov warm-up suit we and... don't know that he was helped well that's true um, but in a sort of split screen of the two of them Butler looked the better. No offence, Grigor. Yes, everything was nicer except Grigor Dimitrov's kit. (laughs) And Butler really did pull it off magnificently. Thinking about that, actually, and this is a looking back on the year show so this this fits in this fits in nicely he's had a he's had a a very eventful year with tracksuits has Grigor Dimitrov, hasn't he? Has he? What else well, there was the French Open incident where he, he couldn't get his tracksuit oh, yes. bottoms off. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he yeah, had to he... waddle around with them around, <laughs> around his ankles for the for the coin toss. Did I imagine that? No, no I didn't. No, no that, that definitely happened. <laughs> How did that not make it into the highlights? I just thought could be in sense, part two. There's going to be a lot of this, isn't there, over the next <laughs> hour? Oh, did, did that happen? It did, did that really happen? Yes, folks, this show... Uh, I know what you've all been wanting, which is let's relive the most awful year that's sort of ever happened in recent memory. Uh, and we aim to please. So <laughs> so that's what we're going to be doing uh, over the course of two shows. We're going to be reliving 2020 because the whole of, you know, 
well, most of the first nine months of it are a little bit of a a blur. And I did that really happen moment. Um, and I think it's going to be very interesting to 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 listen to a lot of it in the cold, harsh light of COVID reality, I suppose. Um, at the time you're listening to this, we may or may not have launched our Kickstarter campaign or annual crowdfunding campaign. If you're post 4pm Tuesday UK time, then we've launched. And if you're pre 4pm uh, UK time on Tuesday, then we are in anticipation of launch. Our preview page has gone live, David. Yeah. We've never had a preview page before. It actually says <laughs> It's like a movie trailer. It says coming soon on it. Uh so that's all very exciting. Um but yeah, we've um I think we've I think we've delivered pretty much in 2020 for the people who backed us. Um who backed so generously. I mean incredible response a year ago and we were just so overwhelmed by it. Um and yeah, we we feel as though it's just <laughs> been a privilege to to produce the show all year long and um and particularly i think the fact that every, every i felt like everybody was still with us and behind the show even when there was no tennis and that was just an incredible feeling really because it was it was a tough period when we were trying to work out how, how this thing carries on and then we came up with tennis relived and then then we started to get other ideas and we went to two shows a week and uh, we're nearing 150 podcasts for the year which uh is magnificent. <laughs> he keeps saying 150, doesn't he, Matt? Yes, he's, he's dangling that number yeah. in front of us. In our That's planning ex- meeting the other day, uh, it was decided we're not going to arbitrarily try and make 150, but if we happen to get there, uh, then uh, then then great. But I feel like feel like that memo didn't quite get delivered across the board. Well. <laughs> then we we got other ideas, didn't we? So hence why we're doing this in two parts. Yes, um, we are. I mean, it's been a it's been a meaty old year, I think. To try and to try and cram a review of twenty twenty into into one episode would be would be ludicrous. Like when we tried to cram multiple Olympics into one episode, what were we thinking? Um, <laughs> I spent about twenty five minutes talking about sort of one memory of swimming in 1996 or something anyway this is part one of uh, the worst year ever in review <laughs> um, stay tuned so settle in buckle up uh, we're going to take you back to start with to a simpler time well for for most people anyway not necessarily for me <laughs> um, we're going to take you back to to january of uh, of this year um, a time when, well, depending on what part of the world you were living in, you you may very well have been aware of of coronavirus and what would later become known as COVID nineteen. But I don't think I was. I think it wasn't until I was actually in Australia. I don't know whether you two remember that that I first became aware um, of the coronavirus. Um, but in an act of Shakespearean style foreshadowing. I managed to start the year in very bumpy fashion indeed. Let's let's all take a moment to remember. I mean, maybe he's going to have to approach this season like Federer has talked about before, as in the post-Australian Open period being his off-season. Oh. No, <laughs> folks, uh, d- d- this, this is not Catherine getting a phone call. This is telling us that Catherine needs to take off her eye patch, which she started wearing... Uh, and attend to her her, her infected eye. 
<laughs> which uh, requires hourly treatment at the moment. Uh, so Matt and I will carry Including on talking. Including through the night. Including through the night. So, uh, yes, we have to feel very, very sorry for Catherine. It is Catherine. an actual nightmare. Yes, it is. Um, but fortunately, the schedule is that it will all be sorted by the time we get to the Australian Open. Um, so, uh, I've got a countdown clock on my phone that counts yes. down the... It's like 24. Yeah. It's like I'm Jack, the Jack Bauer well, of... If eye disease. And if anyone's ever seen Lost, where they where they <laughs> yeah. have to push a button every hour to survive. Yep. Oh dear, that's like that. stressful. Yeah. Well, this is the this is real life. I haven't Lost, seen that before. In a way. Oh, those halcyon days when it was only one infected eye. <laughs> yeah, and and was that was the Putney Exchange? Remember when we used to go to the Putney Exchange? Yeah. That used to be mm. our spiritual home, and we haven't been there since. Oh, I mean, even even just listening to that clip. The hubbub in the background, mm. the noise, it just sounds so different to all the episodes we've done recently. You know, they've been, we haven't had to worry about where to record for so long and what the background noise is going to be like. Yeah, it's a perfect illustration of how different the world was, really. You, kn- you know it's been a rubbish year when you're looking back wistfully on a time when you were wearing an <laughs> <Yes>. eye patch. <laughs> Yeah, highlight one of the year, infected eyes. <laughs> um, and that was a time when we were optimistic that uh, travel, my travel to Australia wouldn't be disrupted. Uh, obviously, it did end up <laughs> heavily disrupted. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, it was such a fine line between it being kind of, you know, obviously unfortunate, <laughs> but genuinely kind of funny as well we were we were seeing the funny side oh, of yeah. it i mean and i then, was wearing an eye patch matt yeah i mean but then <laughs> then within 24 hours literally it had all got rather more serious yeah you know you know it's serious when david's sort of saying yeah we won't use this for content <laughs> yeah or not even asking is it is it okay to use this for content uh, yeah. yeah david just stopped asking altogether um yeah, and uh, I, I did have to delay my trip to Australia uh, by two days, I think it was, in the end. I, f- I feel like... I think it was longer than that. It certainly felt longer. We'd already had a day of play. I arrived Monday, late Monday night, because mm. do you remember I was watching a very dodgy uh, stream of the live tennis on the plane um, once the rubbish football had ended, American football, that is. Oh, well, that was good American football, that. No, it was just men bending over. <laughs> yes, there was a there was a big rant, mm. which was excellent. We are reliving this year, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, while we're on the subject of reliving it, it took, it took probably six months of admin to get that uh, travel insurance claim, didn't mm. it? Yeah. Yes. Ah. Uh, Bloody it's been eyes. great this year, isn't yeah, it? It's been really great. <laughs> At least the Australian Open was good in the oh, end. Gee, I had such FOMO um, seeing those pictures of you. Even though I knew I was still coming and it was all going to be fine, I those two days of you guys being in Australia, I mean, this sounds so pathetic and ridiculous now. I probably did at the time. But I couldn't cope with it. I couldn't cope with those Pictures of you two having a lovely time in Australia recording pods and I noticed. <laughs> I got really arsy about it. I was like, "Stop looking so happy." Um, yeah. Oh. Mm. Well, it felt wrong for us as well, didn't it, David? Mm. We 
I was kind of just waiting for you to arrive through those first few days because, you know, we had a fun time in the press conference. David got told off. Oh yeah, hijacking the press conference. That was that was quite amusing. Oh yeah, it was because apparently I shouldn't have been asking as many questions as I did, <laughs> and I was also doing it without raising my hand or anything. Um, yes, but I thought I was asking quite useful questions to Naomi Osaka. Yes, she revealed she wanted a rival. Yeah, that is one of the the great lines of the year. I would say mm. her saying that, um, but it was obtained via dubious means. So shall be struck off the record. Uh, do you do you think she'll have a rival in twenty twenty one? Do you think she'll be part of a rivalry? Something that we think of as a rivalry. I've been I watching those be. uh, Instagram videos of Bianca Andrescu in training. Ooh. They look promising. I mean, imagine those two and Sviantic, you know, duking yes. it out. Yes, please. Yes, I mean, and the rest. Yeah, Barty, Kenin. Oh my word! Yes. Yeah. Oh, That's, that tennis. is one of my big hopes for the year uh, that a that a little breakaway group, a sort of WTA peloton, emerges of true rivals. Just ending I up suppose. in all the quarterfinals and semi-finals. I th- I don't want to be that person, Matt, but I think the peloton they're not the leaders, aren't, are they? Aren't the breakaway group? Mm. I've, I've just realised they're not the leaders, no. are they? The peloton. I think there's the peloton, no. which is the you know. Who who am I going to throw under the bus here? <laughs> the the peloton is the Elise Cornets. Elise Mertens. Oh, oh, I went lower rent than you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and yes. They, okay. I will. I'll change my cycling analogy to a group of breakaway leaders. Yes. Yes. Some jersey wearers. Mm. Yes, I like it. Um, I mean, it was. It, it was great, the Australian Open, wasn't it? I mean, we obviously we look back on it now very rose tintedly. It was the last. It was the last live normal tennis we all we all watched. You know, when I when I look back at, the, at those at those pictures of the three of us sat in the stands on the Rod Laver Arena watching tennis, which I think was the the first time we did that. The three of us sat together watching watching live tennis and. <laughs> to think it's also now the last. I mean, hopefully mm. not forever. Um, is is quite a is quite a tough thought, isn't it? But um, us us the three of us being there and Matt and I being there just for the podcast was was really exhilarating, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, I feel like it it felt like we had moved to another level with the show and. All listener backed. Let's not forget that because I mean, in in years gone by, we had a go at trying to get sponsorship. Maybe one day we'll get some again, but it's not easy. Uh, and and in in truth, we ended up thinking the listeners are the ones that care about this show. So let's let's speak to them and 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 get them to 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 get behind us if they, if they're up for it. And here we were with tangible evidence of the power of it, the fact that we could all fly. Okay, I was there for the BBC, but you two were able to fly there and stay there for the tennis podcast and we could all get accredited for this tournament and we could all cover it. And I think, you know, the end result was was there to be seen, really, in terms of, of how many we produced, including sometimes more than one a day. Um, but, you know, my, my favourite thing of the lot was the way that as the nights went on, it just got later and later and later and by the end the last few days we were we were leaving Catherine's apartment I'd usually had at least two beers by that point I mean you know 
I'm hardcore. Uh, and it was about 5 a.m. every day. Um, so it was, a, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, do you remember I created a sort of recording studio in the dining area of my, of my apartment. That was fun. Um, and do you remember? Do you remember the one we recorded while Matt was also uh, watching Fulham lose <laughs> on the iPad? And it was it was going all right, and then their goal went in live yeah. on the podcast. And yeah, oh, mid sentence. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that, that. Do you remember the? Sorry, Catherine. Do you remember the first match we watched together at the Australian Open? That has stuck in my mind as one of the weirder moments of this year. Muguruza. Yes, and against Shelby Rogers. Against Shelby Rogers, we saw uh, a lot of my significant memories of the Australian Open are us sat in the media centre and your sort of eyes bugging out at the sight of the live scores screen, <laughs> <laughs> uh, particularly obviously in those first few days, um, and us sort of trying to make decisions about where to go and what to see and who to cover and where the potential stories might be and how we could possibly find a way to to get to see Daniel Collins against Yulia Putinseva, even though it clashed with, you know, several other big significant matches. Um, but yeah, we went out to court three. Yeah. And uh, because Garbini Muguruza, eventual finalist, had lost the first set six love to Shelby Rogers. Really? Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I totally you, forgot you, that. Would, you would not have thought, watching that, that both those players would have... In Muguruza's case, a brilliant tournament, and in Roger's case, you know, kind of a brilliant year. It was it was such a strange match. Yeah, it just didn't feel possible that Muguruza could go from that performance to reaching the final just two weeks later. Mm. Um, but actually, there is a there is a splendid tradition, isn't there? Of um, if not sort of weird and terrible first round performances and certainly sort of being match point down and going on to reach a final or win the tournament. Yes, true, with Kerber. Kerber and Misaki Doi. Uh, mm. Wozniacki was match point down to Jana Fett. Oh, wow, yes. Good memory. Mm. Um, and there there are others as well, but I, I, I've, I've peaked with remembering the name of Jana Fett. <laughs> um, so what, what day was it that we ended up recording two podcasts. It was in the middle, wasn't it? I think it was about day five, yes, because it, I, I'd been there long enough to need to do my laundry. It was laundry that, day. Yes, that was the day where I decided not to go in first thing and sort my life out and do some laundry. And it turned out to be a bad decision because all sorts of drama happened in the morning. Yeah, and I I was sat alone on the Rod Laver Arena watching Serena Williams against Chong Wong. Um, and we all know what happened there. And we all knew that it was only a matter of time before David Law suggested an emergency podcast. So this is what happened. We are breaking today's show into two parts for a very special reason. Because we've just had two major, major results. Simultaneously, Serena Williams has gone out at the hands of Wong Chang. Uh, Caroline Wozniacki's career is over. I'm reeling. Yes, it's a standing up podcast. I've never done one of these after <laughs> one of the most dramatic afternoons of tennis it's, imaginable, it's, really. It's us and Leslie Bowery. Yeah. 
Who is Leslie Bowery? We, it's the Winner three of us are standing. 13 Grand Slam titles. Um, by the um, quite ridiculed busts in uh, Garden Square, uh, busts of former champions, because they, they don't all bear a brilliant likeness. No. Nice, to, nice touch. But, yes. Uh, but yes, some of them are a bit off. Um, but anyway, uh, well done, Leslie Bowery, winner of 13 <laughs> Grand Slam titles, Federation Cup uh, and Fed Cup captain of uh, 1994 to 1999. So there we are. Uh, so we've got the evening session still to come. We'll bring you another tennis podcast after that. <laughs> How good's this? You should have seen David's face earlier when he said, I've had an idea. I've had an idea. <laughs> Here we I are. I said, do we need to sit down? <laughs> yeah. And you said, two podcasts in one day. So here's number one, number two coming up. We have now moved from Garden Square, where we were speaking to you on that earlier podcast today, and soaked up the most epic seven or eight hours of tennis. Uh, Not all of it the greatest quality in the world, but drama wherever you looked. And now we have returned to Catherine's Lounge, where there are snacks and there are beers. And there are tired faces. And seats. And seats. Yeah, because we were standing up next to... Someone Bowery. <laughs> yeah, see, it's a long time ago. Really Lynn? Name. It's a long time ago. Leslie, I think. <laughs> Leslie. Was it Leslie? Yes. Okay, that, you've, you've, you've saved us there, David. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so, yeah, just to run you through the day. So we had the Serena defeat at the hands of Wang Chang. We had Caroline Wozniak's retirement and all the rest of it. And then we had the evening session commencing and these are this these are the this is the snapshot of what happened we had coco golf age 15 knocking out the defending champion naomi osaka we had stefano sitsipas going out in three straight sets to milos raonic and then we had roger federer in a five set epic that he was eight four down in the final set tie break against john milman and he eventually won six points in a row to get the vi- get the win, and so Federer is still alive here in the Australian Open, despite yes. his demons. Yes, it turns out John Millman is a sensation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. Um, yeah, I'm feeling a great sense of responsibility with this podcast because I feel like you know we have quite a lot of listeners in America who would have probably slept through all that. I was I was messaging Andrew, our good friend and colleague, who said. I feel like I need the podcast more than ever because I feel like I've been in a blackout and woken up and I need someone to tell me how my night's gone off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how Sitsipas feels as well. Yeah, just because everything just continued to be crazy. I mean, we were kind of right that the night session this evening would be amazing. We, I think we all thought that would be the case. It was, it was arguably the day session which was more surprising in its drama. But yeah, the night session for its sustained drama to one o'clock was extraordinary. Uh- Oh, do you remember all being in the same room together and oh. watching tennis? It's great and fun. Glorying about drama and forgetting mm. the name of Leslie Bowery. <laughs> do you know one thing that strikes me listening to that is how big a shock it felt that Serena Williams had lost that match mm. because I think she'd beaten. Um, Wang Chung very comfortably hadn't she in the US Open I think love and one or something like mm-hmm. that and and mm. here she was I mean she was playing a player inspired on the day but we'd come into that Australian Open I don't know maybe, maybe it was just me but really believing that this was going to be different because she'd come in with a tournament behind her hadn't she was it Auckland she played yeah 
which I think our second podcast of the year was called Serena's Significant Win. Yeah. You know, we were we were really bigging that up, partly because I think Serena herself was talking that up. She talked so much about the need to win a final again before she could win a Grand Slam title. And she'd done that. She she'd been fine. She wasn't sort of brilliant in Auckland. It's kind of wild to see her there anyway, considering the last time she'd been <laughs> in Auckland. And she described the conditions as abhorrent or yep. something. Um, but anyway, she won. She had this confidence. Bianca Andreescu wasn't in the draw in Australia, who I think so many people had sort of circled as someone who could live with Serena at her best. It seemed quite set up for her. And then, yeah, she she ran into an inspired Chong Wong and didn't play her best herself. And it it was a massive, massive shock, I think. Mm. And it overshadowed Caroline Wozniacki's uh, retirement, which, of course, was happening on whatever we call the High Sense Arena now. Uh, the Melbourne, Melbourne Arena. The Melbourne, yeah. Melbourne Arena. Arena. <clears throat> That's yeah. the one. It's all coming back to us. We, we don't get a reminder <laughs> this year because we don't get to go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the um, – and then the, the – the, I think that all of that happened early, didn't it? That's why you were at home doing your laundry. And, I mean, we were all sort of – we weren't expecting this to be a big story, this Serena Williams match. Uh, I, we weren't covering it on Five Live as, as a live commentary. We ended up joining it, I think, and, and obviously making – but it, it just felt like a massive deal. And that's why we decided to, to just try and do a, an immediate reaction show to it. I'm not sure now – if if she lost at the Australian Open next time, would would that feel as big a deal? I'm not sure it would. It would obviously depend on the opponent and the circumstances, and as you say, you know what kind of a lead in she'd had. But I think probably in exactly the same conditions, it would feel like less big a deal. I think if if there were, if I were to have to pick out one match that did cause a shift in how I view Serena Williams and her prospects of winning number 24, I probably would pick out that Chong Wong match at the Australian Open because I think Matt, you summed it up perfectly on one or possibly both of those podcasts that we recorded that day about how about how you, your your eyes are telling you one thing and your brain and your heart are telling you telling you another you're watching somebody that looks like they're going to lose a tennis match and yet you still don't think she's going to lose that tennis match I I, I never really thought she was going to lose it until that that final point was played and I think the crowd felt the same despite what we were all watching um, and it, it it was one that that really cemented for me maybe that she, you know she does have a problem with the pressure and the nerves um in those in those tighter moments and possibly also with her with her game as well um you know it's obviously still good enough to reach the US Open semi-finals but i definitely remember shifting somewhat um in in how i viewed her and her prospects after that match you know there are some people that still see see it as serena against the field um i still think she can win number 24 um, but I think she needs people to lose now or have have bad days, which is entirely possible. Um, but I no longer see it as Serena against against the Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Have we got that right now? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think think we had a discussion on that podcast about denial. Mm. Are we in denial about Serena? Is Serena in denial about Serena? And... It, it. I agree. It, it felt like the moment it, it shifted from expecting her to win number 24 to, well, she might. Mm. And up until then, I was, I think I was picking her for kind of every Grand Slam, but I didn't, I didn't pick her for either uh, the US Open or Roland Garros that we've just had. So I definitely think that something changed that day. And that's, that's I think maybe we didn't, we weren't able to maybe articulate that at the time. But there was something subconscious telling us that that was a very significant result. And that's that to go with the fact that there was this other story happening at the same time with Wozniacki. It just it felt the need to to do an emergency podcast. Mm. Gosh, the things that counted as an emergency back in January. (laughs) Um, As I said, I think uh, coronavirus sort of entered all of our radars while we were in Australia. And it was perhaps actually because of Australia's proximity and ties with China and the Far East, you know, that sense of an Asia-Pacific reason. I think possibly the coronavirus was receiving more coverage and attention in Australia than it was elsewhere at the time. So it sort of quite quickly came to our attention um, while we were down in Melbourne. I remember every single flight in and out of China being cancelled when when we were leaving. And I, I feel foolish now for not making that a bigger deal in my own mind. Obviously, that's an, a huge thing. But at the time, yeah, it, it did feel a little bit like a footnote. There, there were all these signs throughout February and, and March, you know, of the seriousness of this. And I was I was not blind to it. I was aware of it, but by by no means did did I expect what was going to happen. And I'm I'm sure that's that's not a unique situation to be in. I, I remember at the end of our interview with Marion Bartley, David, which I think we did on uh, Women's Finals Day, the penultimate day of the tournament. I remember some chit chat, n- n- not recorded, um, some chit chat about coronavirus and and. Marion asking you if you had any masks and you telling her that you had a a mask that you would bring in for her I, the I, following I had, day. I'd, I'd brought about half a dozen masks with me for the the smoke, mm. the smoke problems yeah. that uh, that had been caused by the bushfires. Uh, and and I'd, I'd, I still owned these uh, face masks from swine flu about 10 years earlier. Um, my well, I wife hope they're not gi- perishable. <laughs> I don't think so. My wife had given them to me; they're all nicely wrapped up, um, and, and I took them with me. And I gave I gave her a couple to, for the return flight because there was quite a lot of news in the latter stages of the tournament that was starting to become more concerning in in that regard. But to me, it still felt like the problem over there, which I, I hate that the way that sounds, but that's kind of how it felt to me at the time. Um, the, the 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 main reason it got into my consciousness was because it was it was centered initially in Wuhan, which is this tennis destination that we all know so well. And and I remember thinking, well, that how are they going to hold that tournament if they if they're the epicenter of this virus? And I'd been reading the pieces about it, but it still didn't feel like something that was going to hit the world as a whole. It was going to be 
cornered in this part of the world that that wouldn't affect the rest of us. That's how it felt to me. Very, very naive, of course. Um, but my flight home, I remember a lot more people wearing masks than I'd ever seen before. Um, but the uh, yeah, it was a, it was a strange feeling but at the same time really the concentration for me was still on week two of the Australian Open and we heard that story of 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 Roger Federer and John Millman and and uh and I remember that that brings me back to the commentary position we always have on BBC Radio right court level I remember the look in the eyes of John Millman when he was trying to get over the line at 8-4 and and control his nerves it was it was an, it's an incredible sight seeing this process and and also federer taking it from him amazing crossroads of the tournament and i think federer had another one of those didn't he against tennis sangren i can't remember whether it was before or after but it was many many match points saved and and he eventually got through to play djokovic yeah he he didn't pick it as his uh, australian open relived match did he john millman when we spoke to him last week Many high points in it, but not one he wants to, not one he wants to relive. Very understandably. Uh, so we all we all travelled back from the Australian Open after after watching two epic finals. I think Matt sitting and watching those live with you is is one of my favourite tennis memories. Particularly, I mean they they were both fantastic, but particularly I will always remember the Sophia Kennan game. Yes. Uh, coming back from yes. Love 40 to hold and then go, go on to turn the match around and win the title. And uh, yeah, five straight winners from Love 40 down and then a, an, an epic ball throwaway. Oh, yes. After she'd finished as if to say, come on then. And, you know, what was and the score at that sort of stage of the match when that happened? It was, some, it was something like 2-all or 3-2 in the in the deciding set. Um yeah, it was a real chance for Muguruza to sort of stamp her authority on that deciding set and Kenin just took it from her and it was a, as big a momentum swing as I can ever really remember in a tennis match and it was it was one that Muguruza didn't do anything wrong at all. It was just all Kenin's brilliance. It was utterly, utterly amazing to witness. If you, if you could bottle whatever came over her... Mm in that game. So uh Kenin wins that title, Djokovic wins the the men's title. Dominic Team has his I'm getting closer moment or yeah, another yet another I'm getting closer moment. Um and we all decamp from Australia back to back to the UK. Um and Matt heads off to Belgium. Yes. I mean I literally had about 20 hours at home and then I was off to Kortrijk in Belgium for the Fed Cup tie and um, shout out to tennis podcast listener Arna I think he was called who was this sounds ridiculous who was my driver of course he um, was <laughs> <laughs> I was I was covering that event for the ITF and I got picked up at Lille station and taken across the border and sort of gradually over the course of that 20, 25 minute journey, he, he recognized my voice. (laughs) Five years ago, he was called student Matt. Now he's got a driver (laughs) who listens to him. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was pretty amazing. Um, 
I had these two sort of extra bits of live tennis after the Australian Open where I did Fed Cup in in Belgium and uh, Davis Cup in Hungary. And that, that very much for me is the kind of fault line of the year. I can I can point to a time before and after and life's very different. Yeah, because after that trip, we then we then had a sequence of podcasts that we recorded here in my flat pretty much exactly where i'm where i'm where i'm sitting um i think david you were in in london for various you know bits and bobs of of high rolling as you do and uh, matt you came up to london and uh yeah we recorded right here with the tennis on in the background i remember watching Clysters come back in dubai with you matt um we had we had some really random tennis on it because we were always recording on Mondays. So it was, you mm. know, the seeds weren't in action. It, it, it was quite random tennis, but it was a big newsy month because mm. we had Kloster's return, we had Federer's surgery and we had Sharapova's retirement all, all happening within two or three weeks of each other. Yes, yes. And we did an emergency pod for Sharapova's retirement, didn't we? Um, and uh, I don't think Federer's surgery quite required an emergency pod but it was certainly a big discussion point and of course when when Djokovic won Dubai we we had the big can he go the year unbeaten conversation um, and at that time he I remember the interview or the on-court interview he did after he won Dubai when he was asked about that and he wasn't downplaying it wasn't he no. was he 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 was if anything talking that up it was definitely something that was in his sights for for 2020. Um, But 2020 had other ideas, Novak. (laughs) Imagine if somebody said to you then that, I mean, even just this little note, Novak Djokovic is not going to win another Grand Slam title all year at that point. Even that alone would have sounded, Mm. frankly, preposterous, given the way he was playing. Um, and And throughout those... The, that sequence of podcasts that we re- recorded here covering those those events those news events and the events that were taking place around that time there's sort of incremental mentions of of the coronavirus i remember david you i think we actually had to re-record the end of a pod because you said oh we forgot to mention the cancellation of those events in italy or something i think i think we should we should mention that which which was tremendous foresight. I remember thinking, "Oh, for goodness' sake, it's not—it's not that big a deal, David." Um, but yeah, it, it's amazing how quickly the the dominoes the dominoes started to fall. Um, and yeah, here's a little little reflection and compilation of of that throughout that period. We should just end on a little bit of information as well about the latest on the coronavirus outbreak, because obviously it's been huge news over the last week. We we told you about how events in Italy had been affected, and obviously the ones in China too. There's been another event cancelled in uh, the Kunming Open, uh, a 125k event in China on the WTA Tour, and that was scheduled for the end of April. Um, the decision has been made in the best interest of our players, says Amy Binder of the WTA. Um, we're watching the situation closely as there isn't anything more important than protecting the health of our WTA community as well as our Chinese fans and supporters. We continue to communicate with medical experts as information evolves on this virus and we will maintain, we will continue to remain 
remain vigilant in managing this challenging situation. Um, and on and on it goes. So we'll just have to watch with interest to see what happens next. There's so many big tournaments coming up, particularly on the WTA Tour at the end of the year um, in Asia. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the rest of the world's starting to become increasingly affected as well. Um, so we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with a live show uh, in which we're talking to one another. Next week... We've already recorded it uh, because we're going to have a, a listener question special and we've already recorded it for you. And the reason for that is because Catherine is going to be in Indian Wells uh, presenting for Amazon Prime Video. Matt is going to be making his way back from the Davis Cup in Hungary. In Hungary. Okay. So. Whereabouts in Hungary? Uh, Debrecen, which right. I believe is the, the second city. Although I'm flying to Budapest and then it's about two hours from there i think right okay so we'll bring you up to date with all of that and what matt thought of it all in a couple of weeks time um and we'll get Catherine on the on the blower from um from indian wells which uh, which is going to be lovely well we weren't supposed to be talking to you like this uh today Catherine was supposed to be on a plane and we were supposed to be all having a week off and you were supposed to be listening to our listener question special that we recorded two weeks ago however uh, things have taken a turn. Uh, Catherine isn't on a plane. In fact, she's sitting in her apartment at the moment, looking a bit miffed. Um, but uh, it is for a, obviously a very serious reason, because coronavirus has intervened and cancelled the BNP Paribas Open at Indian Wells, uh, because they had a positive test in the Coachella Valley. So... Nobody's going anywhere. The tournament isn't being played and there are lots and lots of tennis players in Indian Wells with nothing to do for the next uh, two weeks. And obviously it's a very, very serious situation globally at the moment. Um, but for us in the tennis world and us here on the tennis podcast, we thought we would, uh, we would delay our listener question special and just talk about it because these are unprecedented times. We've never known anything like this certainly in my lifetime, I don't think anybody's lifetime that I know. Um, and uh, in the sporting world, we are dealing with uncertainty on, on an enormous scale, um, things changing by the hour. So, Catherine, why don't you tell us how your last 24 hours have played out? Because about 16 hours ago, we were making fun of you because you were, you were not packed. And it turns out you could have just stayed unpacked. The one time I was disorganized with my packing for a trip and created an unnecessarily stressful packing situation for myself at the last minute, it was the one time I needn't have bothered at all. <laughs> um, it's been so weird. I can't bring myself to unpack my two enormous cases. They're just laughing at me. They are just <laughs> sat in my bedroom laughing at me. Oh dear, what a 24 hours and what a, well, I mean, what a, what a bizarre situation we all find ourselves in. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're making light of it because, well, what else can we do? Um, we've done the serious chat. I mean, the, the, the fact is we have absolutely no idea when tennis will be played again professionally or at least at the highest level. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. I mean, all that's aged quite well, hasn't it? <laughs> to, to think that it was, was it about five, five and a half months until mm. there was, I mean, okay, aside from the exhibitions that, that were created and Battle of the Brits and things like that, tour tennis didn't happen at all for five and a half months until the return in Palermo on the WTA tour and then Lexington. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they just started dropping like skittles, didn't they? Yeah, it, it, that Indian Wells cancellation podcast was recorded uh, on the 9th of Monday, the 9th of March, my flight had been booked for for 9am that morning um, and I got news of Indian Wells cancellation at sort of 2am that morning um, and then on the 12th of March so three days after that both tours announced a six-week suspension and then on the 17th of March so just eight days after the in- cancellation of Indian Wells and I had forgotten how close together in concertina these events and announcements were was when Roland Garros announced it would move to September um which you know on we were talking about it in the last podcast weren't we on reflection is actually a decision which has kind of been pretty seismic for the way the the certainly way events um view themselves um and view their sort of ability to act unilaterally uh, and then it was the day after that that the tours announced uh, that they would be suspend- extending their suspension through to the 7th of June. Obviously, it ended up being suspended beyond that 24th of March. So we're still only two weeks hence. That was when the Tokyo Olympics was postponed. And then uh, on the 1st of April, so still only less than a month hence, that was when the 
the already inevitable feeling um, announcement of uh, Wimbledon and Queen's being cancelled came along. Um, and soon after that is when David Law texted us all and said, we're going to be reliving the 90s, folks. It's going to be great. <laughs> I've already designed the T-shirts. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, to, to be honest, I, I feel like that those moments, those weeks, I mean, the Indian Wells being cancelled was obviously a big enough shock to the system to really jolt everybody. But when the other tournaments started to be cancelled that weren't even going to play, take place for two and a half months, you know, April the 1st, Wimbledon's gone and it's not happening for more than two months. And that's the centre point of the whole calendar, for particularly for people in Britain that work in tennis. I mean, obviously we work globally, but that, that had never not happened since World War II. Um, and we had it stretching in front of us. I mean, look, it's it's we're one tiny microcosm of the world that's dealing with COVID-19. But that, for us, made things feel really, really weird because not only were we in lockdown and not able to go anywhere – but we had nothing to do. We had nothing to work on. There was no tennis. There was nothing to report on, commentate on, present, write about. And, and that was a very strange feeling of, of losing a, a point of a centering point. And that's when, frankly, I think we all became more grateful for the podcast than ever at that point. When we came up with Tennis Relive just as something to invest in. And obviously a lot of sports were starting to engage in nostalgia and, and celebrate the past. But we went so hard at it and did it on a daily basis. And it just it made it really special to me because I do love reminiscing about – I mean, I've obviously got a fair bit of history to reminisce about now, now that I'm nearly 50. Uh, but, you know, when when you start – when we started to dig into some of those storylines, there is there's so much rich history in this sport, and uh, and I absolutely loved it. Mm. Just just going back to those – that timeline you read out there, Catherine, just – I have such a vivid memory of being being in Hungary and asking – Martin Fuchovic, how he was going to celebrate his win, knowing that he's got to go to Indian Wells the next day. You know, that's how that's the kind of turnaround you talk about in tennis is so quick. And he said, well, I've actually delayed my flight because I want an extra day of celebrating. And he never he never had to get on that flight because the he had the extra day of celebration. And within that time, Indian Wells was cancelled. And um, I think I think in a way we did adjust quite quickly you know it, was, it became quite obvious that everything was kind of just crumbling around us and we we had no tournaments to talk about and couldn't see each other but as David says we we did quite quickly come up with Tennis Relived and a, and a way of keeping the podcast going and yeah I think I think for me the what what made Tennis Relived kind of the perfect thing for us is it kind of combined all of our different strengths, I suppose, um, you know, your interviewing skills and David's incredible memory bank and experience of being there and my wanting to do research and read about all these tournaments. And it just kind of all came together and it felt like felt like the perfect fit, really, for that moment. But it was it was needed because it was a very discombobulating and disconcerting month with everything just 
kind of disappearing around us. Mm. It, it, in all honesty, when David <clears throat> proposed Tennis Relived, and I remember that message so well, you'd, it was, you know, we'd, we'd batted around ideas about what to do. And then suddenly it was sort of 9am and clearly David had been up all night and he texts us with this pretty much fully formed idea. Um, we're going to do this. And it was it was one of those dynamic, typical David Law type messages. It just fires you up. And I, I remember my response being, yes, this is great. It's absolutely what we should be doing because I, I really believed in the commitment to keep the podcast going and it felt like the right thing to do and I could see how it would work. But on a very personal level, it didn't excite me that much. You know, it didn't it didn't get my juices flowing. It felt like, yes, this is this is the way to keep the podcast going and it will be good. But in terms of, you know, I'm I'm always maybe this is a really narcissistic thing, but in terms of pod, podcasts and how we make this podcast, I'm always thinking, what would I want to listen to? Um, and I remember thinking if that was a podcast I subscribed to, I might not listen to that or I might not listen to it as frequently you know make it go to appointment listening and I couldn't have been more wrong I, I was really blindsided by by how much I loved Tennis Relived genuinely um, and you know part of that was getting to speak to all the people that we did and and storytelling I mean that's journalism isn't it it's it's storytelling um and i i loved it so much it got my it did get my juices flowing and i'm so happy to be proven wrong and i don't know why i'm talking about it in the past tense because it's very much present tense and regardless of what the future holds it will continue to be a big part of what the podcast does but um how many people was it that we spoke to for tennis relived this year matt I think it's 54. 54. I, I, I wrote them all down yesterday <laughs> and totted up to 54. I hope I haven't missed anyone. Um, yes, it, it, it was a lot. And I think, I think, to be fair, there'll be people who felt the same as you, Catherine, about maybe thinking that they wouldn't want to listen to Tennis Relived. And, you know, let's be honest and upfront, we did see a, a bit of a dip in our number of listens to those shows. But what always struck me is that the people who did listen and did take the time to hear those shows were finding themselves kind of more engaged with the podcast than ever. I think the number of messages we received over that period was, was overwhelming, really, and incredibly, incredibly helpful for us in terms of helping us to keep going and keep pushing on and realize that we were doing the right thing with Tennis Relived. And, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to have a big audience. It's another thing to have a engaged audience. And I think we've really felt that this year in terms of that connection we built up with the listeners. And it, it, it seemed to come just from where I'm standing kind of during that period, um, was where we we felt that strongest connection. Mm, absolutely. Um, so I know you're all thinking, let's relive, relived. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's hear from just a, a selection of those 54 people that we we got to speak to because it it would not have been possible 
without them. I mean, it would have been, but it would have just been sort of me, David and Matt doing impressions of people. <laughs> um, so we're going to hear from, from Chris Everett uh, to start with and then Yannick Noah, that incredible interview that David did. Uh, and finally from, from Pat Rafter talking about Wimbledon 2001. The 1978 Wimbledon final between you and Martina, which was Martina's first ever slam. It was an epic match. You're making a face which indicates you remember this vividly. But there was such an what looked like a lovely embrace between the two of you at the net afterwards. And you looked genuinely happy for Martina. And I was in love with John Lloyd. What are you going to say to that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm waiting for you to say something else. I, I, I was, you know, I, 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 I'm very honest at my age now. I'm very honest. And that Wimbledon, I met John and we'd start dating and I was, I had fallen for him. And I would have been happy if I lost love and love. You know, I would have still been happy. So I think if anything that took the little, a little bit of um, intensity out of me, um, when I look back, that was the one I should have won. I should have won that one. I think I was upset in the break against her. And then I hit her in the head with a tennis ball. And that changed the whole momentum um, of the match. And I think I relaxed too much and she got fired up. And, and I think that the match, um, you know, went on and she won it. But, but I really, looking back, that I should have definitely won that. And on the other hand, in 1974, when my first Wimbledon, Never should have won it. I never should have won it because I was not the best grass court player. Yvonne Gulagong and Billie Jean King were better than me on grass, but they had lost early on in the tournament. So it opened up the draw for me. But um, so anyway, I don't know if I've ever admitted that before, but, but, you know, that match against Martina, um, you know, kudos to her because that was the start of one of nine Wimbledon titles for her. So if I'm going to lose to anybody, I'm glad I lost to her. But I knew that was the game of my life. You know, it was a beautiful day. All my family was there. All of my family. All my friends. Everybody. All the people that, you know, helped me during the game. Arthur was there commenting for the TV. He was not missing one person. Everybody was like, so the energy was like so perfect. And uh, as we were like behind the curtain before coming up to the court, I remember praying and I never prayed in my life. I never prayed. I prayed. And, uh, and then after the prayer, I remember the feeling that I had is like, was like, I'd rather die than coming out of this court without the cup. It was the feeling that I had. I was totally into the game heart and soul for this game it never happened to me after i played i won some matches never won a grand slam won some tournaments but never did i have this thing was like it was it was like a spiritual thing i was i was it was 100 percent me yannick tennis player for this match I, i was ready to give everything including dying you know i was ready to die for this one and, uh, and then it happened. So I win this match point and, uh, I, 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 I couldn't think, you know, I, I, I barely shook Matt's, you know, hand. I, I forgot to shake, uh, Jacques Dorfman's, the referee's hand. 
and I just saw my dad jumping, you know, from the, the, the stands. And I lost it. And we just started crying. And he say, I say, I, I was saying, we won, we won, dad, we won, we won, we won, you know, and uh, crying. And, you know, he said, I love you. I love you. It's the first time ever my dad told me he loves me. I knew he did. But he never told me, you know, we had to go that far. And uh, that this moment changed my life. It, it just changed my whole life because not that was just the last, the, you know, the last French player won the French Open. It was just that the emotion was so strong and so pure. Uh, people were so happy, like everybody in the, were crying. People were crying in front of their TV. And, you know, it, it was like the best emotion possible. How many times you cry of happiness in the, the arms of your father? You know, if you're lucky to do it once, you know, you, you know, you're the lucky man or lucky girl. You know, you never cry of happiness. You know, you cry, you cry of sadness, of melancholy or, you know, sometimes you can have some tears, but like cry, cry, hugging your father in front of millions of people. So since then, you know, uh, I, I came, I went into, you know, all these French people's heart, you know, and to that day, people always talk to me about it. Always, always, always. Uh, every time, every day, if I walk in, in France somewhere, someone's going to tell me, Yannick, I remember where I was. It was such a beautiful day. We were with the family. We jumped up, up and down in front of the TV. We started crying. You know, we hugged each other. And it was, it was really, really the most emotional thing I ever lived. And, and the best part is that I have it on tape. <laughs> I have it on tape and I can show my, I can show my children. David spoke to Goran this morning. He says hi. He's an arsehole. Just tell him that. <laughs> he says hi and, uh, you should go and work on your second serve. That's the message he has for you. <laughs> He's such a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, a broadcastable response to that, Pat? Oh, I love Goran. I don't care. He can say whatever he wants. He's generally a lot meaner than that. Um, so whatever Goran wants to say is all good by me. We, um, you know, you got to laugh about it at the end of the day. But at the time, I had no laughter in me. And it certainly, uh, when that final point went his way, so. It's obviously gutting, Pat, that you, that you didn't win that match, but, but you're okay. You're, you know, in your own words, you're, you're, you're bloody fantastic, right? Goran yeah. maybe, Goran maybe wouldn't be um, <laughs> if he hadn't won that match. Did, does that offer you yeah. any, any comfort at all? Yeah, you know, listen, I'm really happy to help Goran out. Although, you know, you know, that's a really good question. Imagine if Goran wasn't. Let, let, let's just say, for instance, I'd won that match and Goran was a basket case. And I was responsible for it at the end of the day. And the situation is that I'm okay. I'd won a couple of grand slams, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I've sort of got my my little fix of tennis, and I'm doing okay. So, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? But gee, that selfishness part of me wants to wants that Wimbledon trophy. Gee, it would have been great to have. How much do you think about that? Not often. It's, it, every now and then, a, a thought or a flashback might come in. And I'm very quick to just push it aside. Yeah, I think for the, about the first five years, I, I was waking up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night, just reenacting or or going through the last game at five, a game at five four. 
on his serve and just thinking, I wish I'd picked this way. I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done that. And, and that saved me for quite a while. And I, um, he, he sort of outsmarted me on a couple of big occasions, had the wrong grip to make his, his return, and he came up with the right serve at the right time. He took a couple of big risks, actually. And, you know, and that's, in hindsight, you know, that, that's Goran. You know, Goran's um, pretty, uh, a pretty courageous sort of player and he, he, he goes for it when the chips get down and I probably should have read that a bit better. How did your relationship change after that match and what's it like when you see him now? Yeah, it, it, it never changed. Um, he, he's a classic because... You know, it was a pretty moving moment for both of us, but he'll just sit there and just, he just literally give me shit. It's unreal. He will, he, he's, he'll just say, how are you feeling? He'll say, I wonder, you know that? And it's just a classic and it's just goring. And I just sit there and laugh. And what else am I going to do? But the way he says it, I mean, it's just goring. You know, remember the press conference he would go into, you never knew what was going to come out of his mouth and you knew it was always going to be entertaining. And that was, and, and, and I love going for that. So what am I going to do? I'm either going to cry or I'm going to laugh. And um, it's definitely a very funny side to it. And can you, can you bring yourself to be happy for him? Yeah, I can. I, I can. Gen- generally happy for Goran. Um, if anyone was, was going to win it outside of myself, it was Goran. I remember calling him up before one final, I reckon. Did he make the final in 96? Oh, 98 against yeah, uh, Sampras. Yeah, 98 Sampras was his third, yeah. Yeah, I remember ringing him up. I didn't get hold of him, left a message on his hotel phone saying, go on, I'm really, you know, really rooting for you. Good luck, mate. I hope you win. Yeah, and, you know, go on, no mates, but players generally didn't do that to each other. Um, but I just felt like I wanted to do it. I think I was over in America and was just really gen- genuinely happy for, for Goran to do well. Um, but, I mean, obviously, you know, I, was, I wanted to win. But but if there was ever going to be another winner, it was going to be him. And at the time, you know, I've got to sort of deal with it. I'm not happy. And uh, when we shook hands, it all looks like we're, we're best buddies. But it was hurting. I was seething. You know, it wasn't easy. That was great. I mean, I, I, know, I know we did it and I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I just I loved listening to that again. Um, because the, every, every day, I mean, we did a daily one of those shows throughout what would have been Roland Garros, the, the first one, uh, in, in, in spring. And then dailies throughout both Wimbledon and we went on to do the Olympics as well. But it was just... I mean, it was enormous. I don't think we really realised what we were taking on work-wise because I think initially when I proposed it, I thought we would just literally read about what went on, watch the matches and reminisce amongst ourselves. I didn't realise that we would start then obsessively trying to interview everybody that was relevant from each each story. I realised that that was also my fault in the end that, that we ended <laughs> up doing that. But um, But that's what brought it to another level because – there's so many stories there that I hadn't heard, no matter how much I followed the game. And, and also to hear these people reflect on it years on when they've come to terms with it, when they've got a story that, that has stayed with them in, in many cases, 30, 40, even more years on. I, I, I really, really feel very, very privileged that we were able to do those shows. Mm. Yeah, I think that little compilation there, perfectly encapsulates the power of what of what tennis relived was because kind of like Catherine at, at the start of it I was thinking oh are we just watching 
old great tennis matches and I think we would have enjoyed that but personally I don't really watch old sport in full that often because so much of what makes sport so great for me is the intrigue and the unknown and not knowing the result but what we managed to do with Tennis Relived and especially with all those interviews you did was tell human stories as as well as sports stories and you know you've got there Chris Everett talking about falling in love affecting her tennis you've got Yannick Noah talking about his own personal satisfaction and the satisfaction of a whole nation that came about through sport and you've got Pat Rafter explaining yes he's okay but maybe not quite as okay as he sometimes seems and that was a theme I think throughout you know there were so many just kind of off the top of my head that that one we did on Martina Navratilova's homecoming for the Fed Cup, that was a human story more than a sports story. You had Michael Chang at the French Open while the Tiananmen Square massacre was going on. You had Gigi Fernandez for the Olympics, her bittersweet feelings about about that medal. Um, you know, we told the Jana Novotna, Jennifer Capriati stories. It was it was it was just human stories with sport as a vehicle and I think it, it, it ended up being just more more powerful than I'd ever realised it could be, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, that's all really, really well said. Um, and while all of that's going on, but particularly the latter stages of it, Wimbledon relived, um, Olympics relived, which very much proliferated. There was a time when Olympics relived was just going to be one show. And then I, I came over all David Law... <laughs> <laughs> and hijacked that. Um, no regrets. No regrets. Go on, Catherine. <laughs> uh, but while all of that was was going on, tennis was sort of trying to get back underway in the form of uh, ex- exhibitions. Um, we had the launch of um, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. Just give us a little summary, Matt, of what of of how we felt about the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. <sighs> Do you know, I haven't thought about the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. <laughs> That's how irrelevant it was in my mind can, after, it, after originally seething. It is the summary, it's not ultimate. It is. Okay. It's not, no, it's, it's not ultimate, it's not tennis, and it's not a showdown. It's, it's none of the things <laughs> it says it is. False advertising is our main issue with the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. Um, but, you know, it happened. Some people enjoyed it. Um, you know... I don't know how much of a success it was in terms of, you know, Patrick Moratogli t- talked about it, sort of bringing tennis to a new audience. We don't really know whether it succeeded in that. We've not seen any numbers, but it hasn't done any harm. If you if you watched it and enjoyed it, then fine. Good luck to you, you know. And, and at a time when there was no tennis, some people enjoyed just seeing balls struck. And that's absolutely fine. Uh, balls were also being struck um in Eastern Europe on the the Adria Tour, the I think we can now call it the ill-fated Adria Tour, set up by Novak Djokovic to try and give the region a boost, um, you know, a, a well-intentioned concept, um, but one that always looked and felt pretty out of place given where the world was at, at that time. And it turned out well, basically to be a kind of super spreader event, didn't it? Um, and the nadir of all of it was the world number one, Novak Djokovic and his family testing positive, which 
you can almost forget that now. I mean, I almost forget that. Um, but it was, yeah, again, with the dominoes falling, um, I, I remember sort of mentioning the first time the podcast, this Adria tour is happening. Gosh, it's, gosh, it's strange to see crowds. And then those, those dominoes started mm. falling very quickly. It was kind of double layered because obviously there was the initial impact of it being a super spreader event and hoping that it wouldn't have caused a huge outbreak or any ill health or whatever. That was the sort of number one concern. But there was this offshoot of concern about how it might affect tennis's return because just looking at the timeline here, it was five days after the ATP and WTA had issued their revised calendar for the year. And I, I remember thinking an event like this puts kind of the future of, of tennis in jeopardy if if players kind of can't be can't be trusted to have that individual responsibility. And I, I think it rocked everyone really in terms of tennis's path back as much as the actual consequences of, of the event itself. Mm. Yeah, because at that, at that stage, the odd player had tested positive, hadn't they? Um, but in terms of sort of high high profile players and names that you knew had tested positive as a result of being at a tennis event and being involved mm. in, in professional tennis, that was new. And it, it really did sort of bring a reality home. Um, and it's some in some ways it may have ended up helping the return of professional tennis in the US mm. Open because it it really brought to light the seriousness of it um, and the reality of of what measures would be required and uh, how little room there was for for complacency with regard to um, you know tennis becoming becoming sort of a, a hub spot tennis events becoming coronavirus hub spots. Um, so that brings us up to sort of the end of the summer um, and the eve of tennis getting back underway, which is something we will we will save for part two, um, which will be hopefully a little bit more uplifting because it features a bit more sort of actual tennis, albeit slightly weird tennis. Um, but I think I think we've done enough reliving of reliving for one day. David's got a massive grin on his face. Oh, I've had the best time. I mean, no, I, I, it did bring back some some memories of of just Matt used the word discombobulating and that feeling of just uh, this isn't what we're used to. This isn't life as we know it, and yet you you're just trying to go day to day and find a way. And and I, I keep coming back to the fact that I mean, we got a probably more correspondence from listeners than we've ever had over the period of the last eight months and a lot of people who just were, were happy that there was a constant happy that tennis relived for instance could just take them into another world that isn't this one because this one's rubbish right now um and it was doing that for us on a daily basis we had a, a reason to get up and focus on something and try to deliver and bring about the best possible show and tribute to the past and the great history of the sport that we could and we did that on a daily basis i think we did it 30 times uh, over the course of, uh, of of those shows and um that brings back a great feeling of pride to me uh, and 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 it it just had loads of offshoots because i was i was like what we don't get to relive the us open because it's because <laughs> there is a us open so now we've we've got to manufacture 
opportunities because there's so many special memories that I have of that tournament and and actually lots that I feel that are, where I feel like I'm only going to be scratching the surface right now and I really want to discover the stories behind the stories yeah that whole whole period both because of tennis relived and because of the absence of of live sport it evokes the the line from Mary Carrillo of of all the things that aren't of all the things that don't matter, sport is the most important. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of things this year that you could say, you know, the year has made feel insignificant. And I suppose in some ways the year has made sport feel insignificant, but it's also made it feel more important than ever. Um, and I think for us, you could apply that to the podcast as well. Um so yeah, that's where we'll end it for part one, but we'll be back on Thursday with part two, by which time our Kickstarter campaign will have launched and we need it to launch because I think, Matt, we're out of shout outs for 2020. We have done all members of the law family and imposter members of <laughs> the <others>. law family. <laughs> Long lost laws. And uh, the well is dry. I had a lovely note from Sally Ann, by the way. So hello, Sally Ann, again. Uh, seems seems very nice. We're not related, but you know, <laughs> still very glad to meet her. Um, so yes, do back us for twenty twenty one and give us some more shout outs to do. Particularly if your surname is Law, um, Whitakers would also be very welcome. Both both one and two T varieties, although preference obviously for the one T. Um, and Roberts's great. <laughs> Let's do this. Everyone's fine. Everyone's fine. <laughs> but other, yeah. others, all others are welcome. All, um, other, all are welcome. We know, we know which category you're most enthusiastic about, Catherine. Pets. Because we've got, we've got a few new ones. Yes, um, we've, we've expanded the capacity for animals due to yeah. much campaigning from me. Yeah, so there, there's a mm. weekly slot, folks, to have your pet as the mascot of this show there's also the grand slam mascots we've got all four of those again uh assuming they happen this time um and um uh, and then we've also yeah we've got the chance to mascot each of us imagine yes. that yes i wonder if i'll get any tickets <laughs> who's gonna <laughs> go first david's genuinely anxious about this nobody's gonna mascot someone, me. please someone go for david i would love it if you went first david but i i really want it to be a hilarious animal like a oh, rodent or a <laughs> reptile please <laughs> i'm not sure i'd go for me to be honest but anyway maybe somebody will if you are the owner of a hilarious animal please <laughs> Please bag Z David in there. <laughs> um, yes, I, I'm not discriminating, but a really, you know, a Bernese Mountain Dog would be would be great. But you know, any other animals accepted. And um, yeah, Matt will take anything but spiders. Well, yes, <laughs> I don't mind a spider. Be all right. That would come under the category of hilarious animal. I yeah. think. Uh, so that's our Kickstarter. It's launching 2pm UK time on 4 Tuesday. Uh, what did I say? 2pm. It's because that rhymes with Tuesday. That's why I said that. 4pm <laughs> right. UK time on Tuesday. Um, and if you can back us, please do, because I hope it comes across how much 
we love this podcast, how how lucky we feel to do it, how lucky we feel that our listeners seem to enjoy it so much um, and how cathartic it can it can be for us during uh, during difficult times. So it means a lot to us and it means a lot to us that it means so much to you as well. So let's keep it going for next year and let's hopefully get some more shout outs. <laughs> um, and we'll see you on Thursday for more Tennis Relived Relived. 